Welcome to Karate in the Garage. I'm Corey Cope. I'm still Freddie Wolf. He is. Hey, we're still going with our Devil Made Me Do It month. Yeah. So if you guys are keeping up, we did Stigmata and then we did Heath Ledger's The Order. I think we're going to do a little more follow-up on all this at the end of the month on maybe during Kickstart because this was a month that we really have a lot of fun with. And this one probably was uh, the biggest surprise for me in this 2000s Lost Souls. And along with Freddie and I today, we have another guest. And at this point, I don't think it's much it's of not a stretch. Really it's kind of like a, you know, uh, I don't know that the, I don't know guest is the right term. It's just kind of like uh, Whitney's joining us again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm back. I'm back. Talking shop. Yeah. I, and it's funny too, because all the movies that we've covered that Whitney has been here with us has been movies that really have a very striking production design and and costume choices. And I didn't know to expect that with this well, movie. Guys, let me let me just start here. This is the first time watched for all three of us, I think. Yes. I had never mm-hmm. actually seen this movie. I thought right. I had seen it. And then once it started, I'm like, oh, no, I never see it. I think I only ever saw the trailer and I knew about the troubled production and blah, 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 blah. And I just never saw it. And, and I told you pre-mic before we even recorded Kickstart, I thought, you know what? I you thought this was a remake of Carnival of Souls. I thought they just changed the name up and... And in, in a way, this the name is a little misleading once you've seen the movie. I'm like, you know what? This is kind of a, I guess it could be a better title out there. But this movie, like the other movies we're covering this month, they all have that Y2K apocalypse and the world <laughs> vibe. But this one's more fitting than the previous two movies. I think this one fits that traditional devil made me do it whether I like it or not kind of thing. I think I do like the title because it sort of refers to the bleakness of this movie and the fact that our two main characters are these people adrift in this world that doesn't make sense to them. And so I like, I like that it reflects how the movie looks visually. I I think maybe I'm, I've, I wasn't connecting with the name because I felt like it was, I I was looking at the literal sense and not the way you Mm, described mm -hmm. it. The way you described it makes far more sense, but I'm always digging too far into stuff like this. (laughs) You still look at the surface, but you're right. I think that is a a good title for the characters in this movie that you think are just... When you learn, you start learning about Winona Ryder's Maya and Ben Chaplin's Peter. First of all, let's just just get the thing out of the way that all three of us are really... I don't think any of the three of us could, could ignore this. It looks... Beautiful. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing. It's like, you know, it's like one of those movies, like when you draw them up in prep, you hope your movie looks like this. <laughs> yeah. Right. No matter what your genre is, you're like, they just, but they, they just nailed it. Like across the board, it's like check production design, check costume design, check lighting. And again, how do you go wrong with like two amazing directors of photography on the same movie? Right. Yeah. Completely. I mean, I feel like there's a recipe where that goes really bad. It, 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 right. it, it is this or it totally goes so far south because they can't stand right. each other. Right. It, it helps that they've worked together in a in the past before this. So they already Correct. had a shorthand. Yes. And uh, Gareth Stover's production design married with two of the most visually stunning DPs out there. Just, uh, yeah, there's, you can't get around the fact, and I, and I also don't want to make sure that the, the make it department gets their proper due is because they had a task in this of, uh, according to the commentary, which I didn't listen, but Whitney did. Mm-hmm. And Whitney can go ahead and share what they're commenting about how they were trying to 
take two of the most beautiful people ever stood in front of a camera <laughs> with Ben and Winota and try to, I don't know. That's what they were talking about in the commentary, it, taking Winona's hair and making it a bit more of this mousy brown and, and upping the high contrast lighting and making it so their eye sockets almost disappear and taking that beauty away from them. And uh, Janusz was talking about he loved casting Ben because he's handsome, but there's an edge to him. Like he's handsome without being pretty. And I think that totally serves his character so well here. He was one of those guys, like we were getting pushed. We were talking about that with Nicole Kidman when we covered the others where there was this big push for us to see her in almost everything. You know, eight, nine, ten movies released in 2000, <laughs> something like that, right? And I felt like there was a while there, like Ben Chaplin was in everything. Dude, Ben Chaplin, yeah. I mean, I, I think we, we talked about this briefly, right? Like, I love Birthday Girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this, and, so and the moment I saw him, I was like, oh, shit. You know, I totally missed this, dude. Yeah, but he was in, like, there's a stretch of about a year where he's like, again, not unlike Nicole Kidman, he's in everything. Right. <laughs> All you need to do is watch, as I said, talk to Whitney before, uh, while you were busy killing snakes. I'll save that for the next kickstart. Sure. <laughs> he, you just like, if you have any idea or any questions about why Ben Chaplin is in everything, just, just five minutes of him on screen in a mm-hmm. movie this put together as far as the image and the light and everything about it that sets up this gorgeous piece throughout the entire movie. It never wavers and they move you in, in a way that an adjustable color palette can, and they really manipulate you without you realizing you've done it's You've been tricked into feeling certain things. And again, like we're not talking about two of the most amazing DPs that have ever sat behind a camera doing what they do. And like Freddie said, it could, it could be, terrible or it could be lost souls and you're at the end of the day you're like wow what that was an experience and i would think maybe halfway through it i'm like i'm buying this blu-ray that that's because if the stream of canopy looks this good yeah, I, I need to I need to dive in. I did that. I, I bought it. <laughs> and it's even, you know, a step above watching it on the Blu-ray. You know, it's great on streaming, but it's really nice. See, I watched it again this morning and listened to the commentary and it really just is so stunning. One of the things that they do really well, I, I think, is the, the this movie doesn't look dated. Again, we, mm-hmm. we always talk about how movies, you know, sometimes they look like they were shot in 1990. But I mean, I don't know the, I don't, I mean, it's funny because I, I would say, I was going to say, I don't really know Jill. Oh, is it O'Hannison, the costume yes. designer? Yeah. I don't, I'm, I would say, I was going to say, I'm not really familiar with her work, but I, I, I watch a lot. I mean, I've seen Bill and Ted. I've seen The Pledge. She did Bosch Legacy. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I think she made some great choices. I mean, and if, again, I mean, I feel like they're wearing the clothes. The clothes aren't wearing them. And everything is done in a tasteful way where it's not a victim of the moment, mm-hmm. which just ties, I mean, everything about this film. It just, I watched it I, for the first time. It's 23 years old. And it feels so fresh. It does. Like I literally, I was thinking that when I was watching, I was like, man, this movie is so, it's got a timeless quality to it. You know, it, it ties in with the best of these sort of, it's got elements of like the tenant. It's got elements of Rosemary's Baby. Yeah, Janus mentioned both of those on the commentary. <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah, right. Okay, good. Well, good. Then I, then I got what it. I was supposed to get. Yes. <laughs> Either one of you guys have seen The Tenant? I haven't. Yeah, we, you and I talked about it when we covered The Changeling. Right. Whitney, you got to see The Tenant and then, then I'll, then I don't want to. Putting out of my watch but. list. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, here's the thing too, guys. When when we started the month, I would have sworn this would be the movie I'd like the least. <laughs> yeah. If I was to put money on it, I would have just lost. I would have crapped out in Vegas. I'm in the same way. I was using my history of why I didn't see the movie to begin with. And that one sheet is awful. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't make me go, I want to see that movie. It makes Winona Ryder look like she's the one trying to pull him in. And it was disinteresting to me. I think the bleakness of the colors really doesn't come across in the stills. No. But when the movie, it, when it's moving and the, and the frames are happening, it, it feels so alive. But I think it does look quite boring from yeah. some of the photos um, and kind of like, why would I spend time watching this? And then it completely is a different experience actually sitting in front of, you know, watching yeah. the film. Right. And, the, and the, back to the costumes for a second, I feel like this is one of the hardest jobs to do as a costume designer, trying to make it blend seamlessly, make it feel fresh, but while also not drawing attention to the clothes. Yeah, you've nailed it. Totally. She did such an amazing job and it, you know, people would look at it and be like, well, it barely looks like any design is happening and that's on purpose. That means that she totally nailed it and each piece was extremely hard to figure out. So you can see uh, from me, I can see how much work she put into it, but on the face of it, I don't think many people would recognize that. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's the stuff, while it looks simple and unremarkable, it's that's really hard to do. Like, mm-hmm. I always say the best production design is a production design that doesn't get in the way of the movie and you don't really notice it. And that was this, mm-hmm. right? The whole movie is that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, nothing showy in this movie, but it's all beautiful and it's it, it doesn't need to be showy and it does what it needs to do in every single frame in the movie. There's not like one, like it, that, that bathroom mm, when it changes. So good. Yeah. There's nothing this movie doesn't do well, except for this poster. <laughs> but I was, here's what I'm going to say about this poster. And I want <laughs> you guys to look at the poster. This oh, poster yeah. looks like somebody said, hey, we need to make him po- the poster and we need to look like seven. It's got it. You know, I mean, I feel like it, it, it's, it, they're trying to look like one of those not the main poster for, but some of the other posters for seven that probably had come out uh, between the release of the movie, it, it's got that sort of vibe. Uh, that's what I think they were going for. And it's I, I like just the think they C didn't... version of Stigmata and Seven and Correct. End of Days. I mean, it's a year <laughs> after those two movies. And yeah, so, like, so they, they took all those elements <laughs> and they, they went, hey, here's our poster. Right. And somebody went, okay. I would have been happy if they didn't put that damn pentagram in there. Cause it, yes. By the way, I didn't notice till just now that's what that was on the poster. I'm like, I wasn't paying attention. I was too busy looking at them and going, what are they doing to them in, that, in the poster? And I'm like, we, we're talking about the vibe of the whole movie. Previous with the order we talked about, that movie is a vibe. If there was something more grandiose, something bigger and to describe a vibe, that's what this movie is. From the moment you see Winona at the playground, the film grain... The mm-hmm. film green. I was just the moment you see it, oh my gone. Well, at least this point it's gonna look really good for the whole 90 minutes. So I'm 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 in. But at first I thought the green was just there to just for maybe a, maybe they were just going for a feeling there, but it's there throughout the whole movie. And Janish did say on the commentary that they wanted to up the grain as much as possible to make yeah. you feel like you were actually watching a film. I mean, that was sort of the the transition was starting into digital photography digital. and right. and it felt like he said a videotape or like TV. He wanted it to feel like an actual cinematic experience. When Maya and Peter, right after John, excuse me, Elias Cote as his character, 
who, again, there's, you, you have to look at the cast listing because you forget so many people in the movie. You're like, oh, I forgot. Even though we just watched it. Oh, I forgot he was in it. Oh, I forgot she was in it. And you have <laughs> to remind myself about it because I'm based on character names. But John Townsend, who is basically part of, just like Winona, he, he's one of those guys that's kind of helping out Father LaRoe's character, who John Hurt plays. When right after John is killed and Maya and Peter go to the, uh, what the hell, who was it? Who was it played the, um, John Dial John from Dial, Miami yeah. Vice. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And many well, yeah, but again, like a lot of people in this movie have more hair than normal and it throws, it throws you off a little bit. <laughs> they go into Henry's apartment. That whole sequence of, it was so surreal. I couldn't tell just like a couple of moments in the movie. I'm like, am I dream? Is someone dreaming? Is someone hallucinating? But the way they, they're playing on the, is she seeing something? Is Ben already changing? You know, there's this thing where I, I I was very disorienting, but in a good way. That whole sequence is probably my favorite of the movie when Henry attacks both of them, or mainly mm-hmm. just attacks Maya. There is so many uh, lighting challenges, and but the one challenge that I found is there's so much reflective material in the scenes, whether it's glass, yeah, whether it's frosted glass, mirrors. They did uh, such a great job hiding all the stuff they're doing to make that silly ass movie, and it was so immersive in a way that movies like this don't ever feel. It's harrowing. I, I, that's one thing I'll say about all the movies you're covering as much. I, I felt like dread in a way uh, I haven't felt. And I think Freddie in a, early in, the, in our text chain said, watch us in the dark and by yourself. And that's mm. what I did last night. And mm-hmm. that was the best advice I can give anybody is to share what you said and just watch in the dark and make sure no one's around and it's going to talk in your ear because mm-hmm. you need to pay attention. And you need to just let yourself sink into the movie. And once you do, it's it takes you over. It's very good, very fucking harrowing, timeless because you could have made this movie today. And if I didn't know how Winona Ryder looks these days, I would have thought that she shot this a year ago. Mm-hmm. This movie, it's, it's the funny thing is, it seems slow, but it's not slow. I watched it twice, and in mm-hmm. my in the first viewing. I think I would, if you would have asked me, if I had just watched it the one time, I would have said, ah, yeah, it, it, I think the main problem, if, if somebody would have asked me, I would have said, ah, it's slow and it kind of takes its time getting, but it, the thing is, it's effectively slow because it jumps right into it. We get the exorcism when they show up at the sanitarium where we see Alfre Woodard, who, dude, I was like, holy shit. And she was uncredited in this movie for some reason. It's weird. It's wild. I was looking for her credit and I was like, where is she? She's not in there. Yeah. She's uncredited. Like when the credits roll at the end of the movie and she, there's no before, there, she, you don't get her before. And then I, I watched it all the way to the end. She's uncredited. But from that moment when we first meet all those characters, when we meet, Maya and we meet John Townsend and Hurt's character, Father LaRue. Is that LaRue? However the hell you say it. But from that moment when we first meet it, that that whole section, dude, when they they close the door and they pull the shade down, it's so disturbing and mostly because what you're not seeing, what you're hearing. Right. Mm -hmm. But again, it's one of those things you sort of really have to like dial yourself into this movie. And that's what I was saying. Like the first time I watched it, I watched it during the day. I watched it during the day and I was by myself. But it's, it's a whole different vibe. You got to watch that movie in the dark because it's just the way you're going to see it the best because there's a lot of stuff going on visually 
if you want to call it subliminal or whatever you want to say, but there's a lot of stuff you have to pay attention to. Not only the story, the dialogue, but visually you, you, you kind of have to watch what is happening in each frame because there's so much information being given to you. I feel like maybe, I don't want to say the movie was too sophisticated for people when it came out, but perhaps it just was lost on people because of Winona Ryder, you know, her, whatever was going on in her personal life, you know, takes away from the movie. It would be my guess. But I mean, I have to say, like watching it twice, I really like this movie. I would put it up there with like sort of iconic versions of these movies like Rosemary's Baby, The Tenant. The Exorcist. I, I'm not going to say this movie is as good as The Exorcist, but I'm going to say this movie is a lot better than people give it credit for, including myself, because like I said, I would have uh, at the beginning of this month bet this would be the movie. I figured we would be goofing on this movie and probably be like, yeah, you know, this, what are they, what would they think? But this movie is very smart. And yeah. I read a lot of these little sort of reviews after I watched it and people were saying, Oh, the story is so stupid. It's so, it, it doesn't make any sense. And, and I just want to say to those people, maybe you weren't paying attention. Right. Yeah. How does that not make any sense? I, I think it's pretty straightforward. It's really straightforward. I don't know what they're all talking about. If they're talking about how, if you're in, in Ben Chaplin's character's point of view of Ben, where it's becomes things become surreal right after his reveal, what his... His dream? Uh, whether it's a That's dream. sex backwards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great reversal, by the way, no pun intended. But he, when Ben is going through what he's going through and, and he finds out what his fate is or he's starting to learn about it, he's through his investigation, that's very surreal. But that to me, that doesn't, that's not confusing. That's like you're kind of experiencing what he's experiencing. You, and we talked about in other movies, the, our favorite movies are the ones that don't telegraph what's coming, that we don't see what the main character we know what the main character knows when he knows it or she knows it. We're not being spoon fed things on the side because we're storytelling illiterate. So we can't follow a simple story and the movie's simple. And that if you're paying attention, you're, you're not going to get lost. You're going to feel what you're supposed to feel. And that's, that's how I felt about this movie. I felt disoriented when I was, when I was intentionally supposed to be feeling that way. Completely. I think what was something interesting you were saying, Freddie, is that, the people that weren't getting it, I, I think the marketing team thought the the general public wasn't going to understand what this movie was. And, and so they advertised it and, and presented it in a way that it betrays the movie. It doesn't tell you uh, what it is. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't expect every trailer to tell me what a movie is, but it intrigued me. But it, I watched the trailer again. I'm like, this isn't, after I watched the movie, I'm like, this isn't the movie I just watched. <laughs> no wonder nobody saw the movie. Right. I watched the trailer after seeing the movie and it had no no reflection of what the actual movie was. And Jen actually touched on this in the commentary. He's like movies from the 70s and, you know, can't be made today because, you know, the audience now, the the whole idea of trailers has ruined the movie going experience of letting a story unfold and and not knowing what's going on and learning things as you said as the main character learns them and it's such an exciting thing to keep discovering new bits of information so you're sort of sitting up straighter you're you know really locked into what's going on the trailer for this movie is not good 
Uh, no. and, I, and I think that no. that is probably one of the things that led to the failure of this movie. Also, maybe it was just, you know, again, we're talking angels and devils and fucking the devil moves to it. Again, you know, our running joke is that like there was one of these movies kind of coming out every other month and some of them were coming out, you know, there were three of them being released every month. So, you know, who knows? I mean, maybe it suffers from a lot of Maybe overkill, uh, you know, oversaturation of the market in the, uh, you know, with, with the devil's coming kind of thing. We're already past the millennium at this point when the movie came out. This movie was shot in 98, so it took, it wasn't released for almost two years after it right. wrapped principal photography. On IMDb, the trivia said that they pushed it due to end of days and stigmata. <laughs> so. Well, th- that, that could be too, right? Like, yeah, uh, could, again, could maybe they true. did. Well, this was back when New Line Cinema was taken Big fucking swings. And I don't know. I think we talked about in a group. I, I, I do so many text changes these days. I can't remember. We talked about um, Nightmare on Elm Street, how New Line, you know, I mean, that's the house that Freddie built kind of thing. And it allowed them to, I mean, I could never have fathomed in 1984 when I saw Nightmare on Elm Street that that feed, that, that place was ever going to produce the, the greatest adaptation of Lord of the Rings and he would, would even would able to fund something like that. Mm-hmm. But they were making movies like this leading up to Lord of the Rings coming out and they always made challenging things. Michael DeLuca, as crazy as that guy was and, and the notoriety he has of being a Hollywood bad boy, he knew how to tell a story. He knew what stories worked. I mean, he did it with seven and helped kind of navigate that and no different than this. And I think, I feel like this movie, for a while, a long time, Seven was misunderstood and people didn't get it. Mm-hmm. So you have to think, right, that that was probably the downfall of both movies as far as the, the initial public reaction and public response to the trailer and the movie. Now, now granted, the trailer for Seven is pretty fucking good. Mm-hmm. It sets up the movie perfectly and it doesn't give anything away. It made me want to see the movie and I came out of there going, I was like one of three people that came out of a full city walk theater just talking up a storm how much I loved it. And the rest of the people that were talking were like, what did I just watch? Because <laughs> they were <laughs> right. Because you got your head kicked in, nose pun intended at the end. Yes. But the Lost Souls kind of feels like um I feel like the the marketing failed it. Mm-hmm. Because here it's 23 years later. I'm finally watching for the first time and I'm like, man, I'm really bummed I didn't see this before. But it still feels like it was just done a year ago or or last week even because it feels very timeless, which is kind of a funny thing to say. Like the, the, we mentioned earlier, the visual choices, the costuming choices, the just the, everything feels just feels present. It doesn't feel dated at all. No, and there's not a lot of tech in this movie, so right, you're not like helpful. staring at cell phones or that very nope. much. Or it, that's what also helps makes it feel timeless because right. you're not looking. Oh, look how outdated that is. <laughs> Um, they didn't realize, you know, that Meg Ryan was one of the producers of this movie, which is, is an odd. This is a proof rock production. Yeah. Yeah. That's so wild. Yeah. I missed it. Uh, we were talking pre-mic about how the, probably missed it in the credits. Cause I was just staring at how cool the water and, and right. the, I mean, one of the best credit sequences I've seen in a minute. You know, another other knocks people were having is like the, this movie doesn't have a lot of visual effects in it. Like, I mean, mm. it does, but it doesn't. Uh, we don't get the big climatic fucking Satan fucking. You know, <laughs> like <laughs> we don't get good fighting evil. It literally comes down to like two people sitting in a car, mm-hmm. right? I think her performance is like the, you know, it's really what carries the movie. I think she's really good. She's you know, mm-hmm. 
she made choices and she stuck to those choices. Like her character feels consistent. I don't find her doing, because a lot of times people do stupid things in these movies, right? Mm-hmm. You know, she's the same woman who randomly shows up in his office, <laughs> weirdly enough, after seeing him on TV. She's this, she's that same character at the end of the movie. Right. And I do like how she, you know, puts on a little bit more makeup and is sort of putting on this version of herself, but she's still, cons- it's still very much, you can tell her character trying to get him to come with her, you know, she's yep. sort of turning herself up a little bit, it's, it, but she still feels very much the same. I, I mentioned the exposition, a dialogue and through proper storytelling, we find out who Winona Raya's Maya character is and what, how she knows Father of the Rome. While they're going through the exorcism at the beginning of the movie, we're not watching the exorcism of Henry we're watching hers. Yes. And I thought that was so clever because we didn't have to get hit over the head with a bunch of dialogue of what happened to her the first time, Mm -hmm. what happened to her and why she knows the father. I thought that was beautiful because then like it told us about her. It also told us right in the moment about what they were doing with Henry in that room at that moment. Mm -hmm. Great storytelling and so effective and as Freddie and I like to say, efficient. Very. For a first time film director... Obviously, he paid attention on all the movies he's been on <laughs> and about doing things right and not over, be overbearing about the, but the story because other movies and with, with a less deft hand, we, we see Winona's thing in, with her VO telling Ben what, what, what she went through. But, we still have to, but we're forced to have to watch Henry go through his whole thing. And I love the jarring aspect of it when we're done watching Winona's exorcism and Henry's just sitting there and the father of the comes out just and collapses outside the room. I'm like, I loved that whole moment because we knew it happened mm-hmm. and we didn't get hit over the head with having to see that twice because that, that would get long on the tooth having to see that twice. Even as, even as effective as it was in this movie, I don't, I don't need to see it twice. I know how it looks. Yeah, I love the prep and like, you know, taking the light away and, you know, bringing in, bringing in the evil, but we didn't need to physically see it. And on the commentary, Janusz was like, I'm not trying to remake The Exorcist. That's the perfect movie. But if I'm going to show an exorcism, let's go the other direction. Let's not even physically show it, you know, and and I think it works so well. And what a great introduction to the beginning of the movie. Yep. When they come out of the room and, Mm. and they just all sort of collapse. Yeah. I mean, that's everything you need to know. And when Nona's there and she's just there long enough, she has, she has enough wherewithal to go scoop a ball of father stuff and all of Henry's shit too at the same time <laughs> and gets out of there. After she kind of settles in, she collapses outside. And, and I, by the way, I love that chain link fence moment too. Yep. Where Hurt's leaning up against it, just trying to give his self back together, which we know takes a majority of the movie before he finds himself again. And she's on the other side of it right away, almost like letting us know that it's a little foreshadowing what we're going to see later on with him when she goes to see him when he's called for her. Oh, and I really love the numbering sequence too, where we're seeing Henry write everything down when he's writing down the numbers. What lens are they using? Because I feel like they're using one of those lenses they use when they're doing close-ups, one of those super macro lenses where they're like focused on, on flies when they're landing on flowers and stuff, because that pen is right there on that paper while it's writing. And I've never seen that kind of framing before and something that tight that wasn't a visual effect. I was really moved by that. And as she is going through and trying to decipher the numbers and the corresponding letters. Yeah. I really, 
it, we're seeing things in this movie that we've never seen before, but we're seeing things that are familiar, but don't feel like they're well-worn or worn out. Like making a beautiful writing sequence, you know, yes. like making pen moving grass paper, just stunningly beautiful. Like that's really hard to yeah, do. Totally. It is. It is. And, it, and we, we saw it and we saw that in Dracula since we were talking about that, but, but there was some trickery there. That was a giant book with the train wheel in the background. They had to do all that to make the, the image work in one shot and not be a visual effect. But this, it was just, I think it was two supreme beings, if you will, of photography making lens choices that just don't get made normally. This movie just suffers from bad luck. When its actual release date, when it finally was released in October, was on the exact same day they re-released The Exorcist. Oh, no, really? Yes. yes. <laughs> it was Friday the 13th, no. wasn't it? It's uh, October 2000, it was, but it's whatever the date was, exact same date as The Exorcist. They re-released The Exorcist. Yeah, it was, it was, it was October 13th. Oh, that's rough. The Exorcist, the version you've never seen, that whole thing. So. Oh, right, right. They rolled the dice and it went the wrong way because they probably thought, look, you know, if people are going out to see The Exorcist this weekend, they'll want to see this as well. Maybe not. I would have to look it up, but I bet you The Exorcist grossed more that weekend than Lost Souls did. Probably. Yeah. Lost Souls, period. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. I think, you know, it made $30 million, you know, and it, like we always say, you know, just because you make a lot of money doesn't mean your movie's good. And just because you right. don't mm -hmm. make money doesn't mean you made a bad movie. Right. Right. Exactly. There, there's there's some great like character actors who show up in this movie. Right. Elias mm -hmm. Coteus, who I love. Philip Baker Hall. Love. But the one that really got me, because I didn't realize it was him until I was watching the credits, was W. Earl Brown as yep. Bill Kelson. The brother, yeah. That guy always looks different because, I mean, for the majority of people, he's super familiar from Deadwood, right? Right. Mm -hmm. But he also played Meatloaf. In the VH1 movie, he, but he's like a chameleon, that guy. And he's always great. He was Warren in Something About Mary. And he's Kenny and Scream. Yep. But, he, but how many people from Deadwood are in this? Anna Gunn's in this? Like oh, you yeah. said, W. Earl Brown. There's like two or three other people that are, that are also show up in, in Deadwood's run too. Yeah. Another little gem of a performance is Sarah Winter, who plays Claire. <laughs> <laughs> She's great. Who does she look like, do you guys? I mean, I, I was, I'm looking at her and I'm thinking she looks like she's classically beautiful, but she looks like somebody else. And if, there's part of me that wants to say she looks like Sybil Shepherd, like young Sybil Shepherd. Mm -hmm. But is, is that who, or is there somebody else that I'm, I'm She sort of looks she, like what, Portia de Rossi, maybe? Kind of, maybe. And that, maybe that's because we just saw Portia de Rossi in Stigmata. Right. It was so fresh in my mind that she looks so familiar to me. Maybe that is it. The other thing I can't get out of my head is who does Winona Ryder look like to you guys in this movie? Oh yeah. We talked about, I won't say, yeah, we talked about it, but I agree. <laughs> does she not? I mean, I think she looks like Kira Knightley. Completely. It's so bizarre. Like they have similar mannerisms in this movie too. Whatever Winona is doing makes her really feel like Kira. Yes. Like whatever her performance is. Yeah. She's mm -hmm. doing that thing. Like there's a movie called the jacket with Adrian Brody and Kira right. Knightley that came out around the same time, that sort of similar look and sort of that same maybe type character. Cause I think Winona Ryder really carries this movie. I feel like she's, a, she's an actress who gets, she's maligned a lot for mm -hmm. not being a good actress, but I don't, I don't think that that's true. No, no, she's amazing. I think she's great in this and I think she's great in Dracula. And yes, but she's always solid, even when she shows up doing goofy things like Haunted Mansion. <laughs> oh, was she in the new one? Yeah. 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 Just briefly, but... Copy. 
Nice. Like, but she had a great one-two punch with Girl Interrupted the year before. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, Girl Interrupted, she's great. I wanted to go back and watch Girl Interrupted again after I watched this because I wanted to, I wanted to see where her head was because I'm pretty sure, like we talked about the delay on this movie. I mean, this movie was in the can before Girl Interrupted even started shooting, wasn't it? Well, yeah, it was supposed to be released in October of 99, but they shot, because they shot it in 98. Mm-hmm. So probably. Yeah, so, I, think, I think the movie was done. I don't think it was, I think. I don't think it had been released, but it was probably done. Yeah. Yeah, she's fantastic in this. She has a great job of, being surrounded by legendary like character actors. I mean, I mean, her moments with John Hurt are so good, but that's also an experienced performer like John Hurt making everybody else in the scene look great too. And if you're not as strong as Winona is in a movie like this, overall, I, I my biggest takeaway from this was, all right, just because the, the poster looks dumb and the, and the trailer doesn't tell you a damn thing or, or makes you not want to see it, you just can't, count on those two things to be indicative of what the movie actually is. Yeah, It shouldn't be the juice that makes you want to go. I want to watch that or don't watch that. Sometimes a poster can be beautiful and the movie is crap. You know, don't judge a book by its cover, you know, trying to give everything a proper chance until I'm like, Oh, okay, this is bad. Or this is great. (laughs) Freddie and I both talk about a movie that has a comparable to this and that spellbinder. There's moments of that. Oh yeah. There's some spellbinder. Uh, There's definitely some, Swellbinder vibes uh, in this movie. This didn't go where I thought it was going, no. even though it had those vibes. I was like, oh, 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 okay. I, I recommend that movie a lot to people. And I think this might be my new Spellbinder that I'm going to be recommending to people more than not. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, you want to see something you haven't seen before? Watch this. And I, and I always preface anything when I recommend people, don't watch the trailers. Don't just, hey, look, hey, this is on uh, whatever streaming service or or you can go rent this. Don't watch the trailers. Just watch the movie. It gives away moments too. I mean, the trailer gives away a lot. In a bad, in a horrible way. Yeah. In a very bad way. Like the best reveal of the movie that I think I agree with you, Freddie, on. It's right there in the trailer. And then when you get the Rosemary's baby moment, right? Or moments when you're being in the the building and everything like that, when he goes and checks that apartment out, it's like, it reminds me so much of... That that building and, and that we and by the way we that movie focuses so much on architecture of New York and we don't see a lot of that out other than the churches a couple of the churches in this. One of my favorite moments though was when there's this beautiful pan and you think it's just sort of an establishing shot and then the pan keeps going and it goes to Peter working in his office. Yes. And I I thought that was the, one of the most beautiful shots of the whole film and then listening to them talk about it that was actual, you know, location shot and then the rest of this off the office they rebuilt on the sound stage. And there was a lot of doing that in the in the apartment as well. So I thought that was really cool. Exactly. I was about to say that when they in the apartment and Ben and Winona separate and she's sitting at his desk, the whole left half of the screen is all black mm-hmm. and she's in on the far right with the light on her while she's at the desk. We're seeing her from the front. They move the camera until we can, and then just, they let all this light in the room from the doorway. And I just, it is so wonderfully jarring, but it's so, it's a gradual thing. It's like it literally like dissolving into a shot because it feels like it feels like we're seeing the whole room. We don't realize there's a, there's some blocking going on right there before the camera moves. And I'm like, oh fuck, that was so clever. Just so many little moments like that. Lots of motion with the camera that usually is overdone. 
mm-hmm. overwrotten movies. And with this, there's like, you know, in the office and in the office of Henry's apartment and a couple other times, but it's done so sparingly that it's so effective and they're all very different too. Those moments are very different. They don't feel the same kind of move. They're, they're revealing different things in a different way. Cause I've, I kept thinking someone was going to stay in the doorway. Once we started seeing the light, I thought we we're going to, cause we don't know what's going on there. We don't know at that point that Henry's in the apartment with them. I can't praise this movie enough. And I, I immediately went to watch it again, but I was so tired. So one of my favorite shots in this movie is when Peter is, uh, He's sitting at his station and he's creating a fly. He's, he's sitting at his fly station. Is there, is there a, uh, does, 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 does Janice talk about what, the, is there a significance to the, why they had him? Yes. Okay, good. Please. <laughs> yes. He, fill me he, in. He said that he wanted him to have a hobby that you wouldn't expect that makes him a, a more interesting, eccentric. Uh, it sort of was tied into him talking about the scene where he's talking about his dream and how the camera lingers on him, but it sort of distorts on everyone else. And the production design is all full of like be- beveled mirrors and right. and it, again, making him seem more interesting. And you're, the camera just lingers on him. And it's another part of that, like eccentric character details. Yeah, it's super cool, but it was so random. I was just like, wow, there's got to be, there has to be like an explanation for, I mean, because they they punch in, I mean, and it's beautifully shot. Mm -hmm. It's funny because the the, the mirrors, it's very Polanski. It's very, God, I don't want to keep going back to the tenant, seeing other people's reflections in these beveled mirrors and Mm -hmm. shards and pieces of glass so that you're seeing their reflection because right, like, you know, you're seeing the true self. And so you're sort of seeing these, they do it really well. And I, I, I'm now that you, you know, you're telling me that he mentioned the tenant specifically, mm-hmm. you, you just got to watch the tenant. You'll, you'll understand. I don't want to keep no, definitely. because it, it, it'll, it'll ruin both movies <laughs> for anybody who hasn't seen them. I think we talked about, about the visual effects or the lack thereof in there. Cause again, two masters of their craft, that are all about getting things in camera as much as possible. And I, there's very little that it didn't get captured in the room. That's, there's not, it's not a visual effect. It's not a miniature. It's not anything other than just smart blocking and, and proper setup and sets built the way they need to be built. Very impressed with the movie. And sound design is sparse but worked perfectly with the movie. I mean, the scariest moment to me was when he kept trying, he was turning the dial way up, trying to hear the, and heard nothing. And then of course it's smash cut to the next door neighbor. And, and you know, the abruptness of that sound was so like scary. That was definitely the scariest moment in the movie for me. I love the neighbor. I love that old woman, like the way she had just sort of engaged with him in the hallway. Like it kind of, you know, and and then as the story, I was like, at first I was like, "Ah." and then as the story progressed, I was like, oh, it totally makes sense. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think we're going to keep going in circles and then then we're going to get to the point where we're going to be dancing around, not giving things away about the movie. Right. As as it is, I might have to do a little trimming, but we got, we got to get to the, we got to in the conversation somehow. If we don't can't right. keep the conversation flowing without talking about things that, uh, yeah, well, we I don't want to get into specifics into the movie, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, thoroughly enjoyed this movie. Watched it twice. <laughs> had never seen it. Mm-hmm. This movie is probably my favorite of the month. Yeah. And I, I almost said, I mean, we're in the middle of October. I almost want to say this might be my favorite movie. I haven't seen that we've covered the entire year. 
might yeah. be the history of the show. Might be the favorite movie I've never seen before be, before watching it for the show. I love that. It's definitely my favorite of these four, for sure. I loved this watch, and it was so fun seeing it again this morning. So you know, so soon again, but it's that good. We mentioned Canopy during Kickstart last week. So again, if you have if you don't have Canopy, get your uh, public library card together. If you're in North America, United States, or Canada. And it's streaming there now, at least through the end of the month. I was I was curious about that, by the way. We've talked about Canopy a few times or quite a bit in the last few weeks because I've recently rediscovered how many mainstream movies and smaller indies are on there. They're well, A24 and Neon is well covered there. I think their entire library is on there. I was curious about with something like that, since it's nonprofit, how long does a streaming idea stay on there for? I don't know. I'd be interested to find out because we make recommendations of things on Canopy. Like you don't have to ever worry about it going away. Right. I have. I have a movie on Canopy. One of my one of my movies called "The Which Eyes one? of My Mother." Yes, it's I on saw Canopy. It. It's, yeah, it's, on, my, it's on my watch list now. Yeah. <gasps> Fantastic. <laughs> I know. I just I just posted a little thing on Instagram yesterday about um, my horror movie marathon. <laughs> that is brilliant, by the way. What you did. Uh, uh, if you guys you guys don't follow Whitney on her Instagram, on her Instagram story, she was showing the movies that she worked on and little logos of all the places that you can catch these movies, whether on streaming. I thought that was really clever. I like that. So. I've done six horror movies now and I have a seventh one coming out next year. So I've, I have my own movie marathon now. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. (laughs) Well, so it's on canopy now. And uh, if you haven't figured out yet, based on our conversation, Whitney can vouch for that shout factory release being worth the dollars. Definitely worth the money. That's that's pretty much it with that. You can catch us anywhere. Watch it. You're going to be pleasantly surprised. The Kickstarter before us, we're going to recommend people. Again, we recommend these kind of movies. Watch the movie before you ever listen to the episode because even though we're pretty good and delicate, we try to be delicate anyway about revealing things that may affect your experience when you watch it. This isn't a comedy. This is one of those movies that, that you have to sit there and just and, and, and engross yourself. and Turn off the lights. Banish everyone from the room. Let yourself be. <laughs> let, just settle in and let the movie take you over because it's quite good. Oh, if you want to follow the show on the socials, it's at Karate Pod on Twitter still, Instagram and Letterboxd. You can follow Corey on Letterboxd at Corey underscore Culp and on Insta at Culprit97. If you'd like to follow me, you can follow me at Rock and Roll of 33 on your Instagram or you can follow me at Lost Souls on Letterboxd. That's Lost Souls. Lost. If you want to follow me, I'm WAA Costume Design on Instagram and I'm on Letterboxd at Wadams. Wadams. <laughs> many, many A's. So so many, too many A's. <laughs> oh, we don't want to forget. And patreon.com slash karate pod. Don't want to forget that. Oh, there's a new chat thing on there now. If you guys haven't checked it out yet, check it out. It's pretty cool.